Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Curland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Tom Nite, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And today we have a really fun guest. So we have not a horse trainer, but a dog trainer, Aline Morler. Aline. <laughs> we were just talking about how I, as an English speaker, should be pronouncing this name. So Aline. Aline is like Helen. Yes, but with a much softer sound when it's pronounced with the French accent. In any event, Hélène, welcome. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Have you ever Thank you. Thank have you. you ever had such an introduction? To a... it, it's a wonderful introduction. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, so tell people a little bit about what you do with dogs and sheep and other critters. Okay. So, well, I am a dog sport coach and professionally so that's what i do uh, professionally with i help people who train their dogs for competitive dog sports or just for themselves but in dog sports and i help them achieve skills mastery using concepts that that help them develop and improve their training skills so that's what i do on the professional level and then personally i work and train my own dogs to do sheep herding is my primary focus for my training and i also uh, have done in the past competitive agility and quite a few other dog sports that i've dabbled in rally obedience some search and rescue training tracking straight up obedience and tricks and all the things and i i love trying lots of different things with my dogs a little bit of barn hunt and so on and so forth uh, so I have a lot of fun with them, but sheep herding is my main primary focus. And I live on a small working farm with some sheep and goats. And then I also, as I said, I've done agility quite competitively for a while, for many years. And I stopped a couple of years ago and I might get back into that um, at some point in the not too distant future. And we can hear one of your dogs in the in the background. So so I, yes. I would say periodically we will know that, yes, indeed, you do have a house. You have a, you have a house of dogs how many i i do so how many <laughs> right now i have i have 14 in the house ah. uh yes uh, i have <laughs> 13 border collies and one australian cowpie and wow, that must and then, be intense in your house <laughs> it, it, it's a little busy right now um but i normally have a, a stable pack of eight adults and then i right now i have five puppies uh ranging from five months to nine months of age so it's a, they're a little bit busy and we're still going through the transition of being busy puppies with don't have a lot of skills to being really nice adults. My nine months old are almost there and in terms of just basic house skills and, and being quiet <laughs> while I'm on podcasts. <laughs> oh, no doubts. No doubt. You love dogs. <laughs> I do. I do. I do. They're, they're, they're my, my whole life and, uh, and I work with them every day and when you arrive home you want to have eight eight dogs with you minimum yes okay yes <laughs> and and so we we may have who knows how long we'll actually have it's like having toddlers in the house whether how long your dogs will will give you to have your undivided attention on a podcast but if if you have to interrupt for a few minutes to manage something with the dogs that's fine we'll we can just take a short break and pick up again because i don't want them to be 
going into extinction behavior because you're <laughs> you're on a schedule that is not your norm. Well, they're they're usually very good because I work from home full time, so I they're used to me being on calls. They came in, they had a good run before our call, and then a big lunch. But uh, I I may need to just do a little uh, rearranging yeah. in a minute if they don't settle. Okay. <laughs> and I'm sure there are many people listening to this introduction who have multiple dogs in their household who are going, never mind the horses. I want to hear how you manage eight, or no, not eight, 14 border collies in a house. But that is not what we're going to be talking about because the reason that, that I got so excited to have you join us for this conversation is because you've gotten so excited by balance. And what you are seeing with sort of the fresh eyes of looking at balance from the perspective of the horsework is, is really exciting. So last, what was it last, uh, Labor Day, you attended a science camp and balance was a big part of science camp. And then we had the What Do You See clinic later in the fall. And that was so much fun because of the videos that you were sharing the videos and the photos that you were sharing. But before we, we jump into the any of those details, just talk to me about balance. Okay, so I got really excited in, during science camp when I started to, when, we, when you were going through the work you do with around balance with horses, because it's something that basically is not something that we think about as dog trainers. I know uh, the only time I've ever heard anybody really talk about it was Hannah Brannigan, and I sort of kind of got it on my radar. And then in, in science camp, when we started looking at it, all those possibilities just started like clicking into place. And basically, to my understanding, like if you are working with horses, if you, as the rider, lose your balance, or if your horse loses balance, bad things happen very obviously. So there's a very strong feedback loop right away. I've done, I did do, I used to ride horses years ago, never super seriously, but I, I did take lessons for a number of years. And so I'm, I'm familiar with what it feels like to lose your balance on a horse. Yes. And, and when the horse loses balance under you, there's a very immediate feedback and it's just not something that you, you want. So I, it, it doesn't surprise me that in the horse world, it's something that you, you put great emphasis on. But in the dog world, we really don't have that feedback to what happens when you lose balance or when the when the when the, the dog loses balance. In particular, we may think about there, there's certainly with the there's a growing. Do you want to just hold on yes, a second? Yeah. I'm going to go address that whining yes. puppy, and I'll be right back. Okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Hopefully, I um, put the right dog outside. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 puppies uh, voices are changing so I, I know like pretty much all my dogs by voice but the puppies all sound a lot alike so I, I hopefully put the put the one that needed to go out outside and they're usually as I said they're usually very quiet and good when I'm on these calls as long because they've had their they've had their run they've had their lunch so when they fuss there's usually an, a genuine yes. need to be attended yes. to <laughs> yes so so getting back to so working with the dogs, the focus on balance is not as, the need for it is not as obvious. Correct. And so I think it's something that just hasn't gotten onto most people's radar. With the, with the growing emphasis of canine fitness training, 
which is becoming more and more you know popular in the sport world is doing a lot of fitness work around keeping your dog in good shape for for performance in sports i think there's uh, uh, people are starting to have more of an eye to you know good form and good uh, good balance and uh, in in a sense of kind of watching the dogs perform and you can see for example in agility if your dog loses its balance running over a dog walk that's going to be obvious or you you may end up with some injuries so there's a starting to be an awareness at that level around fitness and the dog's ability to perform certain criteria in various sports but i think what's what's still not really certainly what i i had never thought of and i hadn't really heard much about was just how much it, it can affect many different levels of training. For example, you can, you can create poison cues by training out of balance. Mm. And that, I, I discovered that the very day after science camp when I had a team come to me with a, what they thought was a poison cue problem in training competitive obedience and training for fronts. And I was watching this video and the dog was very reluctant to come into front position. And I was watching this video over and over because she came to me to get a training plan to overcome a poison cue. And I watched it a few times. And if I hadn't been through science camp, this would not have been on my radar. But I suddenly realized that when the dog was coming into front position, it was a big dog, it was a Great Dane, the dog would come in and sort of, uh, she was having, and this is a very common way of teaching a front position is you put a target on your sort of on your navel and then and then the dog comes in and does a chin rest against your against your stomach mm -hmm. so the dog came into position but this dog is you know was over 100 pounds and would sort of come into position and really do a strong chin rest into her into her abdomen and then she tilted backwards and took a step back because she was out of balance so she wasn't prepared for the dog to come in and do the chin rest and so she would wobble a little and then step back and get back into balance. And then the dog would be out of position. So what was happening was the dog was coming into position and was correct until she moved. And then the dog was incorrect. Now she didn't realize what was going on. All she knew was that her dog was coming into position and then was not fully correct. And she would wait. And then the dog would have to adjust himself to come back into correct position and, and move, which was energetically expensive for a large dog to have to shuffle in like that and also drop the rate of reinforcement. And so the dog was coming in and was initially correct and then ended up being out of position and had to readjust himself. So he was finding the whole experience not very enjoyable. So then she would reinforce him and then throw a cookie for him to go and chase and come back and repeat the exercise. And he was getting very reluctant to come back. And she, she thought she'd created a poison cue in terms of needing to have to retrain the whole behavior. And after watching the video a few times, I said, why don't you try this? And I said, go, I, I had her do the exercise that we did in science, science camp of standing in a doorway where we, you line up with a, with a door frame so you know that you're straight. And then just stand with your, you know, your feet shoulder width apart and then drop your energy into your pelvis and just feel this, just get that sense of being really solid in your feet, in your, in your own balance. And I said, so now go back and do the exercise again, keeping yourself in balance. And when she did that, the dog came into position and even when he bumped her, she didn't wobble because she was solid. And then he was correct on the first instance and he got his reinforcement and the the so-called poison cue problem instantly vanished and the dog it was really amazing you showed me though that video pair and it really was astounding yes
the difference and how quickly that difference occurred. Yes. And, and I've said for years, you know, really stressed how important handling skills are. And that when you clean up your handling skills, that it cleans up so much of the, just the noise in your training. And then what you're left with, the, you know, after you've really tidied up your handling skills, then what's left over is the deep core nitty gritty stuff of what's really in your, your animal's history or physical coordination, whatever that the training then needs to address. But that's such good news because the handling skills, that's something that we can do something about. You know, it's under our direct control. Absolutely. That's what's so exciting when I realized this and I was like, wow, because there's also, so I, I had like 20 thoughts at once come to me when you, when you were talking. So hopefully I'll remember them. But the first thing that came to mind was the focus that we have so much on, on the dog training, like I said, in the, in, for canine fitness training, which is, which is wonderful stuff and lots of fun to, to explore. The focus is hundred percent on the dog. And what got on my radar that was not at all on my radar before science camp was the importance of the balance in the handler. Yes. And I don't know much about, I don't know anything about training horses, really. Uh, I, I rode horses that were already trained, so I wasn't actually training the horses. But when you're training dogs, they read our body language. That is like, you have to add verbal cues to override their reading of the body language. And so when you have your body, when you're out of balance, our bodies are basically a cacophony to them that they have to kind of figure the, the correct note that they're supposed to listen to. And there's a growing realization of that in the training world where people are really focused on the mechanics of reinforcement delivery. But the biggest emphasis of that is all about having still hands and being very careful with, you know, having your hand at home position when you click so you're not cueing with your hand and then you deliver the, the reinforcement. But that's just the first step I'm realizing. Yes. Because we, we have to also, you know, think about the, the position of re, the reinforcement and not just in terms of how, which is also something that more and more people are working with, but not with, or not with the eye, an eye to balance. So what I love with you, with your horses about how you, you reinforce where the perfect horse would be. And that is the perfect horse in balance, not just, you know, the perfect horse, two feet to your left. <laughs> it's the perfect horse in balance, two feet to yes. your left. Yes. And that's something that's just going to, I think when we start putting that into, into dog training, it's going to change everything. It's, it's, there, there's so much to unpack here. It's very exciting. Yeah. And it's so dynamic because it's the perfect horse changes over time in that sometimes the perfect horse will be taking a step forward. Sometimes the perfect horse will be taking a step back when they're standing still it's feed where the horse's neck looks pretty to you. So he's not all crunched in. He's not hanging down looking like an old cart horse, but you've got that lift from the base of the neck. And it matters so much because when you think of the thousands of times that you are going to be clicking and reinforcing your learner, that what you are normalizing when you feed is what the animal is going to be learning and making their own. So if, if I feed my horse so that it's leaning forward and down, then what I'm saying is to that horse's nervous system is this is right, this is correct, this 
is what I want you to normalize. And that's what will happen. But if you think of the thousands of times that you're going to click and feed, and if you click and feed with an eye towards balance, then what you get is a horse who is consistently lifting up through the base of their neck, and you get that beautiful telescoping up and out, and you start noticing that they're standing square, they're standing over their bony column, they're standing in a way that promotes overall good soundness, and that when you get on, it's a horse that is much easier to ride. So those are all these benefits that we get just from paying attention, being a little bit mindful of how we feed. And the, the thought that you were finding that that was equally exciting for the dogs really makes me smile. We went through that fantastic exercise during science camp part two, where, or was it part three? I forget now, <laughs> where, where we looked at all those photographs yes. of horses in balance. And it was so funny because I went through that and I had this video that I was, I, that I wanted to send to you of me doing some training with one of my puppies of backing up to a mat as an example of a clean loop. So that's what I, I had taken that video. I've used it for teaching purposes. So like this is a really simple exercise where you, the dog, the, the, you, the dog starts with its back feet on a mat and then I feed by putting a cookie between my feet. So the puppy comes forward to and eats the cookie. And then because the puppy has stepped into my space, the puppy will instinctively step backwards and look up at me and then as, and so I keep an eye on the back feet and the back foot touches the mat and I click. And then that's to build the, the behavior of the back foot on the mat. And then slowly I, I start moving backwards and the, and the puppy will come further and further to get the cookie and then walk backwards and seek the back foot for that mat. So this is a, I was using this as a, as a lovely clean loop example. And when I watched the video and I took a couple of freeze frames and I saw that, yes, I was clicking. I, I pride myself in having pretty good clicker timing in terms of like, I was capturing that foot touching the mat, but oh my goodness, when I looked at the, the position of my dog, she was all hunched up and her spine was, was arched and rounded and she's got her head back looking up at me. And uh, she was, not only was she completely out of balance, but as we observed when we discussed this, she looked like a fearful dog because she was all crunched up. Interesting. And that just like, ex just exploded the possibility there. Because here I am thinking that I'm achieving what I want to achieve by clicking the, I, I was so end goal, like the focus of that, like my, my criteria was foot on mat and my criteria was not looking at any other part of the dog. And so, like you said, if I did hundreds of repetitions of this, which I could very quickly do with a dog, with a border collie puppy who were moves, you know, I could probably do 30 repetitions in, in a, you know, two minute training session. So it could add up really quickly. And if I am clicking that dog all hunched up and in that position, which I was doing being unaware and delivering the food in that position to further reinforce it, then, you know, what am I doing to that dog? Well, I'm building a body position that, that is all hunched up. So that's of course not great for sports performance, but also we have to wonder about what that does for behavior, yes. which I thought was a whole other rabbit hole to go yes. down. That was so cool and interesting. Yes. You know, if we're, did we, did we create that anxious dog by not being mindful of that food delivery? And it basically starting out that the puppy was sitting smack dab in the middle of the spectrum of happy 
and comfortable in the world, but by taking on, and, and the one thing that I think we talked about this, one of the things that I wondered about, particularly since you're in a multi-dog household. So suppose the puppy is still feeling perfectly fine and okay, but its body posture is beginning to take on that sort of hunched look, fearful look. And so the other dogs in your household treat it differently because mm -hmm. it's got that overall body posture is beginning to be its norm. So does that change the social dynamic for that dog? Exactly. And I think there's a very distinct possibility there. I used to do a lot of rescue work many years ago when I still had room in my house to, <laughs> to, to foster dogs. And one of the things that I was taught at the time and that I used all the time was when, when you have a, a dog who's fearful, you get them into a physically confident body position in order to help them cope with a situation. And I would see immediate you know, if you had a dog that was cowering, I would, I would train them to, to jump up and stand up with their front feet on my thigh to put them in that confident body position. And they would immediately be able to cope better with what's going on around them. So I know that having a confident body position immediately changes emotional state. And so I think there's a strong likelihood that putting them into a, an like that unconfident we, uh, body position will do the opposite. And even we can do it ourselves. If you know, like right now I'm sitting here kind of, you know, hunched over with my shoulders forward because I'm not really paying attention. And if you start going through life like that, you know, you kind of feel a little sad and saggy. And then if you just stop for a second and take a deep breath and pull your shoulders back, you immediately feel so much better. Yes. Which we also explored in, in, <laughs> in our sessions together, right? Yeah. It's with all the Feldenkrais work. It's just, so, so I think it has, it has to have a very powerful impact on that level as well with our dogs. And that certainly has always been part of my thinking in terms of what I train for with the horses. It's one of the reasons that happy faces, ears forward, is one of the foundation lessons. And it's not just ears forward, but it's just relaxed muscles in the face. That, that if you're spending your life with your ears sort of flat back in that grumpy look because that's just become your habit. What is that expression that people used to say to small children? If you keep frowning like that, your, your face will become frozen in a frown and you won't be, ever be able to smile. It's not quite the expression, but it doesn't matter. Getting that softening of the expression, it just makes sense that it would do for horses what it does for us, that when we start smiling, it changes our internal emotional state. So if it, if it works that way for humans, why wouldn't it work that way for dogs and for horses? So it's another perspective in terms of why the focus on physical balance is so important. It's, yes, it's about soundness in the horses, absolutely. But that soundness is physical soundness and emotional soundness. You know, those, those two go together. So when, what attracted you to go to science camp? Did you already have that intuition? You said that you had heard Anna Brennigan talk about balance. Was that what you were going to get or it just happened while you were there? And It just happened while I was there. <laughs> I basically have been a big fan of the podcast since it first started, which I, I did because I, I, I'm also a big fan of Hannah Brannigan's podcast and, and, and her work. And so I found her this podcast through listening to her podcast. And so 
Then I've been, I've been I've been studying Alex's work and around loopy training and poison cues and bought some DVDs and I've worked through all of that and it's had such a huge impact on my ability to train and the successes that I've had with my dogs. So when I had the opportunity to join Science Camp, it was just a no drain, no brainer for me. Um, and especially because you're actually close to me, Alex, I can drive to you, which is yes. such a bonus. And then, but we couldn't end up working together in person because of course, you know, the world had other plans, yes. <laughs> but we did, we did do it virtually. And, and so the balance stuff was, it would no, that wasn't what drew me. It was just sort of the whole opportunity to work with, you know, other people, uh, you know, who love this kind of very sort of in-depth exploration of how to achieve skills excellence and, and training excellence, which is my mm -hmm. passion. So, so the balance was an extra discovery. Yes, a wonderful That's bonus. Wonderful. Yeah. Do you want to hold on a yeah. second? Yeah, sure. um, I will go move dogs again. <laughs> I'll be right back. Helen is taking a break to sort out puppies. So this seems like a good opportunity to jump in and say, we should do the same. She's already given us a lot to think about. While you're working with your animals in this coming week, take the time to observe their balance. Look at video of your training sessions, just as Alain did. With this emphasis on balance, what do you see? In the next episode, we'll continue to dive into this subject of how to use video. And we'll continue down the many rabbit holes that you discover when you look at your training through the lens of balance. And if you're wishing you could have attended science camp, well, the good news is we're going to be holding a second science camp in February. The dates are February 18 through 21. We'll have our evening get together Thursday evening, February 18. That's followed by three packed days of presentations and activities. This includes one evening campfire gathering Saturday night. And don't worry, this is a virtual gathering. We aren't actually camping out in the snow. At the first science camp, the attendees from Europe were struggling to stay awake for the evening discussions. So this time we'll meet up again the following Saturday February 27th for a campfire discussion that takes their time difference into account. For our science camp, I'll be joined again by Dr. Jesus Rosales-Ruiz. His work on stimulus control is truly groundbreaking. What he is helping us to see is our current thinking about what stimulus control means is at the level of C. Dick run. You know what I mean. Those are those early reading books that so many of us started out with. They're a far cry from the great novels that we went on to read. So just as the books we read became more complex, with stimulus control, there is so much more to be explored. I keep telling Jesus that he needs to give this work another name. When you say stimulus control to most trainers, they immediately think about the four criteria that need to be met to determine if a cue is under full stimulus control. This is not what Jesus is talking about. At our first virtual science camp, he introduced us to the four quadrants of stimulus control. And in February, he's going to go even deeper into this subject. It is definitely changing the way I think about training strategies 
when I'm starting a new lesson with a horse, I always keep in mind what I've been learning from Jesus. Mary Hunter will be joining us again. She's going to go even deeper into what constructional training and errorless learning means. In fact, she's going to be introducing us to a new term, atomic shaping. But I'll let you wait until science camp to find out what that really means. With her extensive background in portal, Mary always brings a fresh perspective to teaching. Another podcast favorite will be joining us, Dr. Michaela Hempen. Michaela has shared her work on cribbing with us. She now owns the horse who was the primary subject of that study. Blondie wasn't just a cribber. She was a shut down, out of balance, very stiff, and at times very defensive horse. And she expressed that defensive behavior with not just a grumpy face, but at times even kicking out in the direction of Michaela. Michaela has been documenting her training. She has some wonderful baseline video and the changes that are occurring in Blondie are really stunning to watch. Michaela is applying the concepts of stimulus control to every aspect of Blondie's training. Through this case study, you're going to be able to see how the concepts that Jesus describes can be used in real-world training, both to problem-solve and to build new skills. And I, of course, will be carrying on with my obsession about balance. Michaela and I are both balance-obsessed, so her work with Blondie crosses into this aspect of training as well. Science Camp is enormous fun. We keep the group size small, so this is not a conference or your standard webinar where you are in the background asking your questions through chat. We take full advantage of what Zoom has to offer to get everyone involved. Questions definitely drive the process. The days will be filled with discussions in which everyone can participate. I will be getting you up out of your chair to explore balance. We'll have portal sessions, training sessions, presentations, and lively discussions. And as you can tell from Ellen, it is both great fun and great learning. If you want to learn more or you want to register, do check out the events schedule on my website, theclickercenter.com. At the moment, we're offering an early bird price. So if you sign up before December 31st, 2020, you'll get that early bird price. And remember, this the group size is kept small, so if you want to attend, be sure to sign up early. If you have any questions, you can email me directly. And next week in this podcast, we'll be racing down some more rabbit holes that take us even deeper into a discussion of balance. So happy holidays, everyone. Stay safe and have fun with your horses.